This morning's scripture is from Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 30. And the ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with men is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. The word of the Lord. So a ruler goes to Jesus and asks, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That might seem a strange question for us, doesn't it? First of all, we don't really talk about inheriting eternal life. That's not a phrase we tend to use. We tend to use phrases about going to heaven or something like that or being saved, Um, but the language here is different. And actually, you'll find that a lot of our language is not as strong in the Bible as you might think. For one thing, we don't end up in heaven forever. In the Bible, heaven comes to earth and we have a new heaven and a new earth. So uh, we might phrase that question a little different. And after we're a little confused about the question, we might be a little concerned about the question. You might say to someone, well, you should probably pray a prayer of salvation or believe in Jesus Christ as Lord. But we have some trouble with the idea that you have to do something to inherit the kingdom, right? You have to do something. This ruler has this assumption that, well, you got to do something. Isn't that problematic for us? I thought we were not a works-based righteousness. How come we have to do something? After all, it's a gift of grace that we accept by faith. If then we have some questions about the questions, we probably have some questions about Jesus' answer because Jesus does not correct the man the way we might want to correct him. He talks about things the man should be doing. And when the man says, I've been doing all those things, Jesus says, well, one more thing you got to do, you, you need to sell all your possessions and go and uh, give them to the poor. We certainly don't follow that rule, right? That wasn't on the list when we learned it in Sunday school. He actually doesn't talk about grace. He tells the man he needs to do more. This has been a challenging question for all of the Christian faith, is how do we explain who we are and what we're about? Are we about a bunch of rules? Are we about a bunch of laws? Are we about grace? 
Are we about what we do? Are we about um, what are we as Christians at the core? This is a debate and not everybody agrees on it. Some people say that it's about serving the poor. Some people say it's just about believing and it's about grace. Some people say it's about being involved in church. What is it at the core that defines a Christian faith? Could you define in a sentence what it means to be a Christian? Like what is the core of that? And I don't want this just to be a hypothetical. So we're going to have a little interaction here. Turn to one or two people right next to you. And I want you to have a conversation out loud, not telepathically. Talk to each other. What is the core of the Christian faith? What is it really all about? Or let me ask it another way. If an alien came down from outer space and they landed in Newcastle this morning and they they found a field to park and after they checked out McDonald's, they came over here and said, what are you all doing How could you explain what the Christian faith is all about in just a sentence or two? Real quick. Talk to each other. Go. We get props and the conversation stops. Huh? (laughs) What do you think? If you had to describe the Christian faith in just a couple words, anybody, what would you say? Love, power beyond knowledge. Love Love God, love your neighbor. Jesus, Lord and Savior, okay. Full of grace. Something you'll never understand. Okay, we're going to do our best here. I think there are three elements to being a Christian. Okay, three elements to being a Christian. The, the first is what I would call, and what has been called, a sense of belonging. That we belong to something greater than ourselves. And that is a gift. We should not belong to God. We should not be a part of God. God should continue to be angry with us. But instead, while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so we belong to Christ and Christ belongs to us. And because we're a community, we belong to each other. Okay? Because we belong, I think there's another part of our faith that involves behavior. We behave a certain way. That means ethically there are certain things we do and certain things we shouldn't do, right? But there's also, in the tradition of our faith, a set of practices that Christians do. Okay? There's a set of things that you do. Like you read your Bible and you pray and you go to church and you're involved in Christian community and you don't lie and you don't cheat and you don't steal and try to live a moral life, a life of light. And you serve the poor and you have, this, you have love for other people. Because you belong to Christ, there are certain behaviors that Christians uh, are part of. And there are also beliefs. There are facts. There are things that you know, that you understand, that you believe. That I believe Jesus died and then he rose on the third day. Okay? That I believe I should live a moral life. And I believe the Bible is the inspired word of God so that I should listen to it and it should have authority. Belonging, behaving, and believing. I think the Christian faith are these three words. This is what it is. Okay? Now, the question becomes, what order do you put the words in? In the Jewish faith, I think it went this way. 
I think when you were a baby, you were circumcised, you were brought in, you were one of the, you're some of the people of God. And then because you were part of the people of God, you were part of Passover and you were part of sacrifice and you were part of the family rituals and you did your daily prayers and you wore your yarmulke and you did the things that God told you to do. And then interestingly enough, the beliefs in the Jewish faith seem to come later. In fact, the rabbis disagreed on some of their beliefs. The rabbi disagreed on some of their priorities. And I think the early Christians were like this too, that you belonged, then you behaved, and then you believed over time. That your belief, that your language follows. And if you've ever fallen in love, it was probably like this. Okay? My wife wasn't feeling good. She's not here today, so I get to talk about her. Okay? <laughs> My wife and I started seeing each other on Memorial Day 15 years ago, okay? So yesterday was our date anniversary. we call it. We had some fun. We celebrated as a family remembering the date anniversary. okay? And uh, on Memorial Day, we went and just hung out for the day. And uh, we were kind of all over Erie with a bunch of her friends, with some of her family. It was, a, it was a great day. And we started sort of dating, and we started seeing each other more regularly. And at some point, pretty quickly... We, we weren't seeing any other people. Does that make sense? There was this sense that we sort, of we sort of belong to each other, not in some kind of weird ownership way, but, but we belong to each other, right? We're sort of together. And then we had certain behaviors where we always sat next to each other, right? And we were around each other, and then we held hands. Uh, and we, we, one of our behaviors, we saw the movie Finding Nemo that summer like six times, and we held our hands for the first time at Finding Nemo. And then at some point, we decided we needed to define the relationship. Okay, we used to call it a DTR talk, define the relationship, right? And I remember my wife and I, we were hanging out with some friends at night. We were all looking out at the stars in this field, and we were sitting there holding hands. And uh, I said, so are we like a thing now? That's what I said. Are we like a thing now? We're holding hands, right? We're way past thing. Okay, she said, well, I guess we never really talked about it. So I sat up to her and I said, and with emotions, I said, well, let's make it official. Will you date me? And I gave the parentheses the whole deal. We were holding hands. We were way past date. Okay. But the language followed. Does that make sense to everybody? Later that summer, my wife went on a trip to, uh, to Dallas for a worship conference and uh, she called me and she accidentally used the L word. Right at the end of a phone call, she said, all right, I love you. And then she realized what she said and then she panicked and she said, okay, go by. She hung up on me. And I've never been, I was like, I, later, I, 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 that while she was gone, I wrote her letters. I gave her the letters and my, my letter that night said, well, you use the L word today. And then you hung up on me, and I wasn't quite sure how to interpret that. <laughs> okay? You understand, language follows. Okay? What you experience in your relationship and certain behaviors that you do end up leading to certain beliefs and certain language about what's going on. And I think it's that way with God. I really do. I think you belong to Christ. You find who you are in Christ. You start acting on those things. And then eventually you get some theology and some language to help you describe. It's why the early church took two or three hundred years to finally figure out the language of Trinity. 
Because they were experiencing God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but they didn't know how to say it. Okay, and they, they took them a couple hundred years to decide that Jesus was fully God and fully human. Why? Because it took them a while to figure out how to say what they were experiencing with Jesus. Now, here's my worry. My worry is the Christian faith today has reversed this. Okay? I think the Christian faith today has really reversed this. So that we want to start with beliefs and then behavior. And then if you do, if you believe what we believe and you behave the way we think you ought to behave, well, then you can belong here, right? And I think this happened for a couple of reasons. I think the faith became much more, uh, much more Roman and much less Jewish. I think the Enlightenment pushed us into belief. I think as we had all these different denominations, we started fighting about what we disagreed about. And we were defined more by our beliefs than anything else. So that if you, if you believe what I believe and you behave how you behave, well, then you can come to our church and you can be part of this. And I think it's backwards. I think it's backwards. I think actually our faith leads with the heart and with the hands. And then the head catches up later. Okay? And I think that's true of a lot of us, right? And for us guys, it's really like that, right? Our heads are sort of behind, okay? But I think faith is like that. I think the faith works so much better when we belong first and we start behaving a certain way and then we start to get language for it. I think there's a need in our faith to reverse the order back to the way it should be. And I want to say this. I think the peace that Christians are generally missing today is the behavior peace. Most Christians, they have all the right beliefs, right? And they think they belong to Jesus and they think they belong to the church. But if you're a jerk, you missed a piece, right? And if you think you can be spiritual but not religious and not really be in a church, well, you're missing a huge part of the behavior thing. That the church has always had disciplines. And what the disciplines, and that's a scary word. They've had practices. They've had certain behaviors that Christians did that helped them be in tune with their belonging and helped them to interpret what they were saying they believed. Practices. And I think we are missing those. I'm not saying beliefs aren't important. I'm not saying belonging is not important. I'm saying there's a piece that the church... When we define Christian faith here today, nobody said anything about the Bible or prayer. Our instant reaction was not that we behave a certain way. It was to define ourselves by our belief and our belonging. And I think it's the behaviors that help bring those two together. And without them, we have a really intellectual faith. We have a lot of Christians that say they believe, but they don't actually live it in their lives. We fight about things. So how much of the Christian faith in your lifetime has been defined by the fights over belief? Do you know that 100 years ago there were about 2,000 denominations? Now we're nearing like a couple hundred Presbyterian denominations. Okay? I mean, we're, it, it's crazy, the fights that we have. Aren't you glad you're in the right one? Right? <laughs> Aren't you glad you're in the right tradition? No, we've been so defined by our beliefs. Again, I'm not saying beliefs aren't important. But if you say you have a belief that you haven't been practicing, it's like saying, telling me what love is all about when you've never been on a date. Okay? It's like telling me what love is like, trying to define love for me when you've never been in love. Okay? You've got to be in love to start defining love. And I think our theology is hugely important. 
but I think it's meant to define what we're experiencing. And if we're not experiencing it, then there's a problem. And I've been talking about worship. And there are lots of different other things that Christians should do. But let me define the three biggest ones in the Bible for you. Number one is what's called Sabbath. In the Bible, from the beginning, there is a day that we are supposed to rest, to stop working. And it is hugely important to stop working. Because when you are working all the time, there's this tendency to buy into this lie that your value is based on what you can accomplish, what you can produce. And when the people of Israel are in Egypt, that's exactly what they are. You are how many bricks you can create for the Egyptians. But you're not what you can produce. If this is true and you belong to Jesus and that ought to be enough, then you shouldn't have to work all the time. Okay, but how many of us, we work all week and then we take work home? Or we get home and then we got a list of all the work we've got to do at home, right? And then we go on vacation and we bring work with us. Or we spend the entire vacation doing this, 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 right? We never rest. Let me tell you something. If you have trouble resting, then you have a faith issue. Okay? If you have trouble resting, then you have a trust issue with God, and you need to look at it. That's why Sabbath is so important, because Sabbath helps you to understand, do I really trust that I belong to Jesus and that's enough? And if I say God is all-sufficient and God is all-knowing, that's my theology, does my theology, do my beliefs actually apply to my life? And Sabbath is a great way to understand if that's true. And so if you have trouble resting, look, I got four kids, okay? I have trouble resting, okay? I never get a day. And Sabbath day is Sunday, and I work every Sunday, okay? But I've tried in my last couple of years to make sure I'm piecing together a Sabbath day. This afternoon, this evening, this, this, this uh, day, if I can get it, I'm going to take a break and rest and not do anything, And that is such an important practice because I know some of you, and I know as soon as you sit down to rest, you know what you're going to think of? The 50 things you should be doing, and you're going to feel guilty that you're resting, and I'm telling you, that is pointing to a faith issue. See, the behavior, the practice helps you understand your faith. And if you're not trying to Sabbath, you would never have this conversation in your head. Number two, the Bible. God speaks in lots of different ways. He can speak through the beauty of a day, the, the, the uh, amazingness of a sunset, through the, the joy of the laughter of children. But God speaks in all kinds of ways, and the Bible tells us that. But you know the one way God con- consistently speaks? The authoritative way that God speaks is through his word, through the Bible. And yes, it's sometimes it's hard to read. I know that. Books 2,000 to 3,500 years old, depending on the place that you're at. It's not an easy book to read. But if someone you really looked up to wrote a love letter to you, you would read it. Whether that be a sports hero, whether that be a musician or a star, whether that be someone you looked up to, maybe that was a relative that's lost that you don't have anymore. If you had that letter, you would know that letter. And the Bible is God's love letter to you. People died to be able to give that to you in your own language. That's a behavior that's important because guess what? It anchors you in where you actually belong and it helps inform what you believe in your theology. And if you're not in your word, there's a problem. 
and prayer. Prayer is speaking with God, both talking and listening. And I don't know if you know this or not, but the Bible never says we should pray over meals. Did you know that? What the Bible says is to pray morning, noontime, and at night. And that's because the, the, the people would stop three times a day to pray. Okay, Jewish people still do this. Muslims still do this. And Christians have decided because now we eat three meals. We didn't used to eat three meals as human beings. Now we just pray grace for food. But that is not what it meant. In fact, uh, 1 Thessalonians tells us to pray continually. Pray without ceasing, some of you would remember. We're supposed to be always praying, not just praying about the food. Hey, listen, blessing your food is like low on the totem pole. Okay, of all the things you're going to pray for, you're going to pray for your ham? I don't, (laughs) blessing the food? Some of you bless food and it's Cheetos. You're asking for a miracle. You don't even know it. Okay, listen, we don't pray about food. We pray about life. Okay, now if meals are a good time for you to remember to pray, fine. But don't just pray about meals. You're supposed to be talking, communicating with God. And guess what? If you're not doing that behavior, then don't, don't be surprised if you start to belong to the world. Okay? Don't, surprise, don't be surprised if the world starts to be, say who you are and that you belong to them. And don't be surprised if you have a theology but you're not actually living it. If you think Christ is your Savior but you live without joy, you've missed it. You need those behaviors. I could talk about service to other people. I could talk about the offering that we did earlier. I could talk about solitude, the need to be by ourselves. Man, is that uncomfortable for a lot of us. But in the the Bible, it happens a lot. See, Jesus is talking to this rich young ruler, and he's not trying to get him to earn his faith. It's never about earning your faith, but it's about responding to the grace of God. And what what Jesus knows about this ruler is he's got way too much stuff. And if he doesn't do something to get past the stuff, he's never going to get his heart right with God. That's what behavior does for us in the faith. And in my opinion, it's probably the most neglected part of the Christian faith. And it's probably the most important thing for us to focus on moving into the future. Because as the world changes, we need a vibrant faith. We need a vibrant set of Christians. And the behaviors are in the Bible what gets us there. So how are your practices? How is your Sabbath? How's your prayer life? How's your Bible reading going? It's not always easy, I know. But it's got to be a priority. And my encouragement to you is that you would do the things to help you fall in love with God because God is so very much in love with you. Let's pray. Lord, for the faith that we have, we thank you. It is a great, it is a gift, a gift we didn't earn, but a gift that you hand to us. Let us then respond by living into it. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.